Hey, everybody, this is Bob Book, host of Film and Whiskey. For the next couple of weeks on the Film and Whiskey feed, you're going to be hearing from our friend Zach Johnston. Zach is the spirits editor for Uproxx. He is uh, just a really good guy to have in your corner. He's somebody that we are thrilled to have gotten to know over the years on Film and Whiskey. He's one of our favorite recurring guests, and he is one of those guys that you just don't meet very often anymore. He's part of a dying breed. He is incredibly humble. Uh, but incredibly learned. He's the kind of guy that after a couple drinks, you find out he lived in Berlin for years and years. He went to film school, so he knows what he's talking about when he comes on our show. But then I read an article like his most recent one in Uproxx, and he says that he's tried over 2,000 samples of whiskey already this year alone. He knows more about whiskey than I will ever hope to. He knows more about film and life and just <laughs> everything than I will ever hope to. And what he's doing for the next few weeks is he is traveling around the world and he is opening up his collection of secrets to you. He's opening doors that we would never have access to to talk with some of the best regarded and highest regarded people in the spirits industry. Zach's traveling not just in the United States, but to Europe as well to sample incredible and sometimes rare whiskeys and to talk about some of his favorite films. Even better than that, he's paired up each movie that he's talking about with a geographical region. And today, we are going over to Scotland. I won't spoil for you who the guest is or what the whiskey is. And in fact, I'm going to throw it over to Zach here in just a minute. I'm presenting all of his interview unedited for your listening pleasure. This is the first of five weeks with Zach, and we're calling this Zach's Whiskey Corner. So without further ado, let's listen into episode one of Zach's Whiskey Corner with Zach Johnston. Hello, everyone. This is Zachary Johnston. This is Zach's Whiskey Corner, part of the Film and Whiskey Podcast special December edition. And this is where I am talking through some of my favorite films and drinking beautiful whiskeys with those films. And I always have a guest with me to drink whiskey with me and talk about the film. And while this uh, sort of limited series was meant to be about U.S. regions and the favorite films from those regions, we're taking a departure today and we're going over to Scotland to talk about one of my favorite directors, Ken Loach, one of my favorite all-time whiskeys, Mortlock 20, one of my favorite all-time people, Mr. Ewan Morgan, who is the luxury or sorry luxury ambassador for diageo whiskeys and an educator for luxury whiskeys at diageo yun thank you so much for joining us well thank you for having me zach i really appreciate it and i'm very excited to talk about this movie for multiple reasons but we'll we'll get into it in a minute and obviously to taste the delicious more like 20 as we go through yes and so yeah i just want to say to everyone listening out there you and i have known each other for a little while now you know working with Diageo Maltz and things like that. And, you know, meeting up in New York to have a drink, meeting up in New Orleans to have a drink, but I, you know, as you do in this industry. And uh, there are a few people that can get you more excited about drinking great scotch than you and Morgan. So I'm very excited for uh, this opportunity. Can you remember the whiskey I gave you in New Orleans when we bumped into each other? Yeah, it was a Talisker 44 and it, it was, was a Kel Kelpie, right? Yeah, it was the Talisker yeah. 44 when we bumped yeah. into each other. Yeah. At some someone else's party who can remain them unnamed. <laughs> yeah, another industry shindig. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And that was a that was a saving grace pour of that night for me because that is as as you know, you're but to the whiskey uh, film and whiskey fans out there, I'm a very old and deep Talisker fan. And uh, that whiskey phenomenal. Like yeah. one of the one of the most beautiful whiskeys I think I've ever tasted in general, much less from Talisker. But yeah. as much yeah. as I'd love to go deeper on that, we need to get into our film. All right. And so for me, you know, for filming whiskey fans out there, you know, Ken Loach is a very, very, very working class focused director, English director. He's won several Palme d'Ors from Cannes. This film, The Angels Share, actually won the jury prize at Cannes. He wrote it with his longtime collaborator, long-time collaborator, Paul Laverty, who he's been writing films with for literally decades. And the film follows a group of 
I'll say petty criminals, but sort of like young criminals who are sort of like meet a Y in the road where they're either going to like become full on criminals for the rest of their lives and probably have short lives or try and get out of the slums of Glasgow and try to get out of poverty and try to do something more with their lives. Given that it's a Ken Loach film, it's all very real. It's all very visceral. It's all very sort of like cut close to the bone, a lot of stolen shots of actual people. You know, it, it is a sort of film where you don't really see in the U.S. film market that much. You just don't see American movies that are this close to the bone, mostly because Hollywood system desires money over anything else, whereas European system desires art and telling people stories. And they have, you know, national film boards that support artists like this to tell these stories. So, Ewan, what's your initial thoughts of The Angel Share? All right. So, full disclosure, I I first watched it when it came out 2012, and then I I did a refresher. I watched it just just the other day just to remind myself to see if there was any bits that I had missed, and there was there was bits that I had completely forgotten about. Okay. But to to your point, you don't really see that that kind of working class, very real style of film here. I suppose the closest you would get something like maybe Larry Clark or something like that, but that's kind yeah. of kind of more like the kind of teen kind of angst kind of stuff. Where whereas this is focusing on on people who are who are effectively kind of living their lives between the cracks and, and working class Glasgow. I used to I used to live in Glasgow. So I, I know people who are who are like that. And they have they have a nickname and they're called Neds. N-E-D-S, Ned. Okay. Yeah. So the people, the the protagonists in this are, are probably what we would classify as Neds, which some people say stands for non-edu- non-educated delinquents. I don't okay. know if that's true or not. I like to think that it is. But uh, what what were my thoughts on it? So I have a few. Fact, factually, it's, it's pretty good. You know, like the whiskey facts in there, they... We're going to talk about Charlie McLean in a minute, but you know he was a consultant on this, and he he's a great knowledge on all things whiskey and whiskey history, and that's how I first met him actually years years ago. So so factually, it's pretty good, and the whiskeys that they reference in there are pretty nerdy at the beginning. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking Springbank Thirty Two on a kitchen yeah. table, and that's like a six grand ball of whiskey. So. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the whiskeys in it are, are pretty nerdy, but factually on, on other ends of it, I know they had to like make a movie in it and it had to have like a bit of pizzazz and excitement to it. So like they referenced malt mill distillery in it, that, the, the cask in it. I'm not going to give too much away about the plots and I'm going to go through that, but we, there is no cask of malt mill in existence right. that, that we're aware of. We have a one sample bottle of new make, which is at Lagavulin distillery. But everything else in it from that distillery, which only ran from 1908 to 1962, and we can chat a wee bit about that as we go through this as well. But most of it went into Mackey's Ancient Age and oh, also wow. White and also Whitehorse. So I actually oh, have good. an auto here from Three World War Two that actually references malt milk on it. So wow, yeah. So they that's they, incredible. Yeah, they couldn't. They couldn't really find a kind of a single malt outlet for it because you know, between us, the the liquid wasn't deemed of a high enough quality to be released as a single malt. So they blended right. it out. So it's a very, a very, it is a very, very rare whiskey because there's no bottle in existence. So I know why they picked it, but it, it's it's a good film. I, w- I will say this, and this doesn't really spoil the story of it. The the ending is slightly weird. For me, because it, it, most stories are supposed to have kind of this kind of moral compass, especially with yeah. Ken Loach. And then at the end of it, you you find out that crime actually does pay. It pays, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, we'll, we'll get there, but you yeah. know, you're very on point with Ken Loach in that you know you watch like you know, the Wind that Shakes the Barley or you know Carlos Song or even you know his more recent stuff. Sorry, we missed you and tends to be devastating endings like true tragic real world consequences just like you leave there you leave the cinema and you're like i need a drink yeah this is a happy ending and it you know spoiler alert the happy ending is crime pays (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so let's 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 take the uh, journey there. So you know, All right. the film film opens with our our sort of we were introduced to our lead Robbie, who's in courts, and he's played by Paul Brannigan. And basically, you get this introduction where the uh, so the, the judge is reading off like who he is and like his parents were drug addicts and he grew up on the streets and he's been in gangs and he's blah, blah, blah. And that's basically just Paul Brannigan's actual history because Paul Laverty found Paul Brannigan in a like halfway house when he was doing research for the script so he could make like the dialogue sound correct for Ned's basically and finally got him to audition. And so that half like classical smile he has on his face is from when he was in a gang and got in a fight. Like, so this is a very visceral sort of real performance by somebody who was living that life. And you can see as the characters are sort of introduced in court, it, it has a verisimilitude to it. That's just something that Ken Loach is able to capture the magic of. And you kind of get a sense, and this is still the opening credits technically, yeah. where, yeah, these people, they're not, they're not murderers and like hardcore criminals yet, but all these people are very much on that road of, you know, just a few more breaks. And you get that sense really on that first courthouse scene. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they set it up really well in the way that, you know, he's kind of been, he's kind of been living this life of like crime because he was born into that. And there's no real hope for a lot of people like that. But then the judge, and again, this doesn't spoil the story, the judge gives some leniency to him and gives him community service, which means he right. doesn't have to get reprimanded and, and go to jail. So he's given a second chance, and, and it's really that fork in the road. Does, does he continue down a life of crime, or does he then try and, and turn his life around? Because you know his, his girlfriend is pregnant as well. So, and we learn it's sort of like he's getting almost a third chance. Uh, we'll get to that plot point because it comes, becomes very important later. But uh, yeah, so he gets community service, which uh, it's called community payback, I believe. Yeah, um, we all we yeah we call it community service. Well, sure. uh, but uh, in the script, right. I think they call it that. I'm not yeah. sure why they changed the verbiage of it, but yeah, it's ostensibly yeah. you know you have to go into the community and and work and. Right. Either, you know, you're cleaning the sides of roads or in their case, they're, they're going into, I think, an old school and, and trying to renovate it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm going to fully admit here and not be embarrassed about it, but I had to have the subtitles on for this whole film. Because yeah. the Scottish bro, the very like working class class region was tough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the same if you watch Train Spotting. Most, yeah. most, most folks over the this side of the pond will turn on subtitles and <laughs> it's, it's tough without it because there's a lot of kind of colloquialisms, slang, yeah. that kind of stuff. So yeah, I could understand it because I lived there, but uh, I, I, I fully get where you're coming from. Yeah. And so for anyone who's going to uh, watch this film on their own, don't be afraid to turn on those subtitles, people. It's, it's totally okay. But so sort of the next, jump right into story after the opening credits where we're introduced to Harry, who's the, the man who is in charge of everybody doing their community service and he's checking people in. And of course, Robbie's late and has to like almost beg to get on the team because he doesn't want to go back to jail. And um, it's also the same day that Leone, paid by Siobhan Riley, is having his baby. Of course, Leone is also from a you know pseudo crime family and Leone's father and brothers kicked the ever loving shit out of Robbie at the hospital for even daring to show up to his son's birth, <laughs> which yeah. is funny kind of, but also it's tragic, but kind of funny because it's kind of like, yeah, he's a piece of shit. Like they don't want him there. And I can see his, I can see Leone's father's and brother's point of view very easily. Yeah. Even though they're part of a crime family themselves. Yeah. Yeah, there's a certain there's a certain element of irony in there that you know they yeah. they're successful gangsters and and he's right. like st street street level kind of yeah. guy who they have no respect for and doesn't doesn't want their family being involved with him. And sort yeah. of the, the beauty of this as well is like Yoni's father does come back later and you know he still plays it to the story in a more human way. But we'll get to that. But uh, basically, Harry takes him home. You know, 
cleans up his you know, bloody face and broken ribs and sits him down in his in his kitchen and you know he finds out that you know you only did have a son luke and harry being you know a very nice older gentleman like we have to celebrate and this is where the whiskey is introduced in the story and uh, <laughs> he pulls down a bottle of spring bank 32 like it's just on the shelf in his kitchen like you said, that's like a five, six grand bottle yeah. of something amazingly rare. Like if, if you pulled that out when I was at your house, I'd just be like, you're not going to open that, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I actually went online to see if you could buy it here in the United States. I only found one retailer in Los Angeles who's selling it. I think they're selling it for 16000 here in the US. But in wow. the UK, you know, you can pick it up, pick it up for a thrifty like six K. Thrifty six K. Yeah. Um, but this is so this is sort of you know the inciting instrument. This is where you know Robbie first has a drink of real whiskey. And it, it it seems like he's never even had whiskey before because again, you know, the these kids, these you know young people are coming from such poverty that the idea of like you know going down to the pub and having a dr- a wee dram is just not in their reality at all. Um, yeah, you know, they, and so you know, he of course thinks it tastes like dirt, and then Harry very, you know, kind of is like, no, give it time. He puts a little drop of water in there, and open up, and sort of, you know, the the film kind of moves on. Where it's, you know, of course we know what the film's about. It's called The Angel Share. We all bought into the concept to watch it, but it it isn't like Harry's not there to like drive it into him or anything. He just wants to celebrate, which mm-hmm. is a, it, I found a, a nice scene. Yeah, but, I would I would say that they the the Neds. And and it's alluded to in the film a few times. They actually reference it a few times in the film. It, they drink Buckfast. And okay, if, you've, if you've ever been to Scotland, then you will see Buckfast in, in many a store, liquor store, right. convenience store. And it's a fortified wine made by Benedictine monks in southern England. But it's only really in the, the, the kind of central belt of Scotland that young teenagers drink it and oh, it's, full okay. of, it's full of caffeine its nickname is either bucky or buckaroo and and it's notorious yeah yeah that sounds very uh dangerous especially when you said caffeine yeah like, oh yeah i and you know it was sort of i guess uh, kind of like bad dog 2020 but with caffeine in it or something like that or boom yeah they're 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 of the same elk right <laughs> after oh, sorry so after that, we sort of, you know, luckily Robbie goes and meets his son and Leone's like, kind of get your shit together, please. And basically the next scene is a big, is a big set piece where Harry on their day off, because all of his uh, nets were you know, doing good work, he's taking them to a distillery as a, a special sort of visit just to show them something nice in the world, which again, Harry seems like the nicest guy on the planet, basically. Like he's truly devoted to, you know, giving people who are down on their luck a chance. And so they go to Glen Goyne. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They go to Glen Goyne, but inside is Deanston. So yeah. That yeah. Yeah. The mash tun that they walk around is Deanston. And then, the, right. and then when they taste from the barrel, it's, it's Deanston as well. Right. So yeah, there's a bit of a kind of, kind of a hodgepodge going on there. And, and weirdly, my, my friend Brendan, Used to run Deanston Distillery. In fact, the last wow. time I was back in Scotland, I got I got a tour around there of it. Fascinating distillery, run by Hydroelectricity as well. But the only distillery in Scotland that is. Right, that's fascinating. Yeah, see, there we, we're learning. I had no idea Deanston was run by Hydra. That's incredible. But this this sort of set piece is crucial because we kind of really the gang comes together in this point where the character Mo Jasmine Riggins, who we saw in the credits, was in court for petty theft. And then Rhino, played by William Rain, who's sort of like, I don't know, like big sort of blokey guy, like, but kind of like nice and jokey. And then Albert, played by Carrie Maitland, who's uh, a very, uh, a very simple young man. I'll just yeah. that. He's the bud in train spotting. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. he's the bud. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, um, yeah. And so... And it's there, you know, there's a lot of this is played for comedy during these scenes too. You know, they're, they're talking about how cute the, uh, the host is that's walking them around and they're, you know, 
they're having a whiskey tasting and they don't know, they can't smell anything. But then also at the end of the scene, when they are having a whiskey tasting, you kind of see that they do kind of start taking it seriously. Like, you know, uh, Rhino and Robbie are actually saying things that they smell. Like, I think Mo says it smells like his dad's breath when he was a kid. And like Rhino says it, it smells like his, this old pup down at the end of the street. And Robbie says it smells like uh, Christmas pudding his nan made once. And so it, it's look, like they're taking it kind of seriously, which is kind of cool at that point, you know? Yeah, it's, uh, the, it's the first point in there that you really start to see like real whiskey vernacular come yes. through and them having this kind of like sensory awakening, I guess, where they're tasting the whiskey seriously for the first time. Because the first time you see Robbie drinking it is the Springbank 32 and he doesn't like it. Even though it's a phenomenal whiskey, he didn't he didn't like it because he did his palate wasn't accustomed to it because he had been drinking other things up to that point. So it's a far departure in terms of flavor profile. But then you see them go to the distillery and then they kind of have this this kind of epiphany, I suppose. Yeah, and it's it's a nice thing because I feel like it is very indicative of things we've seen a thousand times in our line of work, where People have that at home. I was like, no, I do smell that Christmas cake from, you know, my grandma's Christmas. And I do remember that. It's making me remember that pup from the end of the street and, you know, when I was on that trip or wherever. And it, it's nice to see because that is literally how it starts. Like it isn't about, oh, I'm getting, you know, asparagus and Stilton cheese and all these like refined flavor notes. No, it's, it's about finding those little memories and unlocking them through the profile. Yeah. And it's, uh, very honest, they, very real. I see that a lot with my job as well. People having those light bulb moments and and then they they start to suggest things and it's the first time that they've probably done it. So it's like the basic building blocks. It's like they get vanilla, it's a very common one, fruit cake, which they obviously reference in that film as well. And the, these things, and then you start to see them get more and more confident with it. And that's one of the things I genuinely love about my job is where you start to see people getting excited about it because they're not only discovering something new, they're discovering how the, how it, evocative it is to them and then how they describe it. And, and that's just the, the gateway for them. So, so many people at the end of, of the tastings and stuff that I do kind of walk away from it with a, with a genuine new respect for, for whiskey and also that thirst for learning because they want to try other things because they all taste, yeah. as you know, they all taste so different. So it's kind of them kind of going down the rabbit hole, which is wonderful. Yeah. And so sort of building on that. So Mo, actually, because she's such a kleptomaniac, she steals a whole bunch of miniatures from the distillery. And obviously, you know, Robbie's smart enough to hear the bottles clanking in her bag. And I, I love the line she gives when he calls her out before they get the van and she's just like, what? It's so easy in there. <laughs> I can help it. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, I don't even like whiskey. Do you want them? And instead they go back to Robbie's, you know, shithole apartment and they do a whiskey tasting, you know, and the, you know, Robbie, Mo, Rhino and Albert sit around and like, and Robbie's sort of leading the way because he got some books from the library and they have a sort of like, you know, you can tell that you know, they do kind of care. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, that, that there's a pretty disgusting part of that oh, as yeah. well. Yeah, that scene's capped off with a gag-inducing <laughs> joke from one of Robbie's flatmates who, like his flat is a shithole. Like his bed is a small mattress on the floor with a lamp without a shade. His, his flatmate is an alcoholic to the point where he needs hair of the dog so bad he chugs the spitter from their whiskey tasting and yeah. there's a scene before that that sets that up to make it even more gay and do see that we'll let the audience discover for themselves <laughs> yeah yeah but this is sort of where you know the, the 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 film sort of turns right so back to reality for robbie like yeah this nice he had, went to a distillery and all this but like he's got a rival uh, another street gang of you know young thugs led by this guy clancy played by scott kyle they basically chase Robbie down in the streets and are about to beat his ass down when uh, Leone, his father shows up in his land cruiser, of course, and uh, rescues him from the scene, but with some tough love where he, he takes him around a corner and, you know, there's a whole bunch of 
probably more Neds, if you will, hanging out, sort of scrapping, drinking, you know, doing their thing. And he's like, look at them, man. Like, you are never going to escape this. You cannot stay here. They are always going to, they're always going to treat you like this. You're all, you're like, you're just in a cycle. You can't get out of unless you leave. And then offers Robbie a chance to go to London. He'll give him 5,000 pounds, get the hell out of there and just start over. But he has to leave his daughter behind. And it is a ridiculous proposition because like, you know, he doesn't want to leave his son and Leone behind, but also like it tells him something very important that comes up later is he is in a, he is in a spiral. He cannot get out of it's too late for him in Glasgow. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of like the the Glaswegian version of Sophie's Choice, I suppose. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Albeit less train stations and Nazis, but it's 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 a it's a tough decision for him. But ultimately, you know, you you see his fortitude come through, and he he wants yeah. to stay with his girlfriend and his baby. So yeah, like he can't compromise his his you know. His, but is ostensibly his wife, I guess, and his and his child. But that seed is planted correctly. Where it's like, yeah, you want to keep them, but you can't. You can't stay here, bro. <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Which I think he's smart to recognize as the story sort of progresses. And then, well, the whole back half of the film is kind of a a fairy tale heist almost. Where yeah, but little... it's it's segued in when when they all go to Edinburgh together on right. the trip, and then yes. they end up at a whiskey tasting, and I feel like yeah. that that's where it starts to to kind of exactly. be so, off. There's a there's a nice comedic beat where Harry and the crew is at a cemetery and they're cleaning it up just you know as you do because it's part of their community service, and Harry comes over in front of everyone else, so kind of on in. And asks Robbie if he'd like to go to Edinburgh to a whiskey tasting. Yeah. And Noah's like, oh, I'll come too. And then Rhino and Albert just wander over and be like, oh, we're, Harry's taking us to Edinburgh. And it's, it's a nice comedic scene. We've seen it a hundred times where Harry's like sort of, you know, accidentally goaded into taking the whole crew. But it, it, it's a nice, it's a nice funny scene. Yeah. And that gets us to Edinburgh. And that gets us to a very, very famous whiskey Man, and a good old friend of yours, Charlie. Yeah, Charlie McLean. Yeah. So Charlie and I first met at Royal Royal Lochtengard Distillery in Deeside a long time ago. Diageo at, at that point had a internal education course called the Malt Advocate, where you would go and do an internship and then travel around Scotland with with a industry mentor. And he he was the industry mentor of that trip. I did that trip multiple times. And they vacillated between Charlie and, and Dave Broom, another very famous whiskey writer. Yes, so they, they had they had phenomenal talent taking people around Scotland. And if they had any questions or anything on history, wh- whether or not it was, you know, Diageo distilleries or any distillery, then they were they were a font of knowledge. So that's when we first met. So we traveled around Scotland together and and got to know each other. And what a what a phenomenal human being he is. As his knowledge of whiskey is just incredible. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. None, really. And that's why I sort of love this film as uh, one of a slice of life film, Ken Loach slice of life film, but also as a whiskey film because it didn't cut any corners. Like it got like the whiskey expert, you know, and Charlie to actually be in the film and, and to, you know, consult on the film to make sure that, you know, Things were respected and done correctly in a way that still made sense to a casual viewer, right? And so it gets this film, this this sort of realism that uh, it just draws you in more, and, that, you know, and that's what I, I that's what I appreciate about it. <laughs> yeah, and the other great thing about that is that Charlie isn't acting in that film. Charlie, no. <laughs> Charlie in that film. If you've ever met him, he's he's kind of larger than life character. And and that that's that's basically who he plays. He just plays himself. So he had, he had the easiest gig ever. Yeah. Where he just got up there and and talked about talked about whiskey. They actually reference Dragonmore in that scene as well. They do. They do a blind tasting, and he asks which one. He asks the Robbie when he gets up on 
up on the front, they have a few people who they have to guess which whiskey they're blind tasting. And I think he says Clint Barclays or Cragenmore. Yep. And so, yeah, and it was Cragenmore, but he had guessed Clint Barclays and, and Charlie had guessed correctly. So it, there's, there's a little kind of comedy and lighthearted moment there. But again, it's just kind of reinforcing not, not only the credibility of the film, where they got a real expert in, but also yeah. the fact that the main character, Robbie, is actually getting more and more knowledgeable and being able to pinpoint fairly accurately, you know, regions and styles of whiskey. Absolutely. And this is a little bit of where the fairy tale starts because right after that scene, character played by Roger Allen, another British actor, there's a whiskey collector, Thaddeus, comes up to Robbie and hands him his business card in case he ever wants to chat. I was like, oh, I wish... You know, millionaires walk up to me and do that sometimes. <laughs> but, you know, that does happen too. It's, and that sort of was what then propels us to the rest of the film, which is the heist of the malt mill cask, because Charlie's character mentions that, that there's this priceless cask that's coming up for, for auction soon. And what happens then is Robbie and crew go back home and Robbie slowly starts thinking about a plan. And then you see him go with Leone, his, his girlfriend and baby, to go look at a possible flat for them to rent for six months. And in doing that, he sees one of Clancy's men has been following him. So he, what Leone's father said about him never being able to get away in Glasgow sinks in, in the fact that even if he moved to this nice flat with Leone, Clancy already knows where he is and he's going to come mm-hmm. for him no matter what. And that's when Robbie's like, okay, I need enough money to get out. I know about this small bill thing. He brings Mo, Albert, and Rhino together, and they start hatching their plan. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And uh, their plan is they're going to hike their way up or hitchhike their way up to back up to the highlands. They're going to camp up there. They're going to go to the auction, the malt mill auction, as huge whiskey fans, the whiskey club. And they're going to use, say, they want to, you know, it's as important as landing on the moon to them, this, this auction of a, a malt mill. And they're going to get some of that whiskey and they're going to, they're going to fence it. And that's what the film becomes. And it's sort Disguised of... Disguised uh, in kilts. Yes. Disguised in kilts that they're not even wearing correctly. It's no. pointed out. <laughs> yeah. Hello. Yeah. Uh, and, and even weirdly, even more weirdly, uh, the distillery that's got this malt mill isn't even on Isla. It's Bal Blair Distillery, which is up right. in the northern, <laughs> northern highlands of Scotland. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, it's what I found that funny too. It's like, why is it up there? But uh, maybe they found that. Uh, it's just like I said, it gets a little fairy tale-ish in this this section, which is fine because it's it's sort of a you know it's a it's a fun heist wherein you know four friends on the road, you know they're meeting people, they're hitchhiking, they're having a good time. Uh, you know, uh, Albert's of course being gross and dumb, which is you know all the comedy beats you want, and they do genuinely earnestly talk their way into the auction and the tasting and you know, Charlie shows back up to do the, the single tasting of the barrel uh, and then the, literally go right into them, into the hives where they've set up uh, a plan for Robbie to stay inside, there's a little crack in the window where they put a hose through they put a hose into the whiskey barrel they start filling up iron brew bottles I have a question how uh-huh. big were those bottles? Were they one liter, two liter? Iron brew bottles? Yeah. That's a great question. I actually they, don't. I, they'd probably be around about, I don't know, like 700 mils. I right. Think. So basically a whiskey bottle, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty much one to one for a whiskey bottle. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I would, but, I would actually need to Google it. But yeah, they're around about the same size. Right. It's not like a two liter. No. No. Um, 
I mean, this is where we sort of see that Robbie's, he is actually pretty smart. You know, we've seen him study and stuff like that. And obviously he's got a, he's got a, a little bit of a ability for a palate to develop. Um, but while he's siphoning off whiskey, Thaddeus comes back in with the head of the distillery and uh, he gets himself a little nip to actually taste it and offers the head of the distillery a chance to, hey, I can get three bottles, I can sell them and we can make some money. Head of the distillery says he doesn't have the nerve for it. Mm-hmm. Robbie listens to all this. And uh, we have already seen that Robbie's already taken a little hundred mil bottle for himself. Uh, and now he knows that Thaddeus has actually had the whiskey from that barrel. So once they leave, you know, Robbie, very, again, I found this very funny. He, he fills up iron group bottles from other barrels and just refills the barrel with, with random, I guess, ball Blair, which, yeah, yeah, I found that very funny. Yeah. Th- thus, ostensibly teaspooning it and, and making it not worthless, but certainly not the value that they, yeah. they allude to in the film. Right. And it pays off very well later. But yeah, so the next day the auction happens and, you know, Robbie sort of comes out of the shadows with the rest of the crew. Um, and there's a bidding war. This, you know, dude from Boston ends up winning or Connecticut, but he's got a Boston hat on. Pays over 1.1 million. Of course, they open the barrel and this pays off wonderfully. Case is like, oh, it's amazing, of course. And the, I feel like we've both been in situations like that as well, where, you know, somebody tastes the whiskey they're told is amazing. And of course, it's amazing because they can grind for it. Uh-huh. So you sort of see that in spades. <laughs> yeah. I, I found I found that, that whole scene quite, quite interesting. It was like, I don't know why he took the guy into the warehouse just to give him a dram of it. I don't know what he thought was going to happen there, but he just thought it was going to end there and he was doing right. the guy a kindness. But then, you know, he basically offer, offers him hard cash for three bottles that he's going to then give give to a collector and, and you know, fair, fair play to the distillery manager where he says no. No. Um, but, but he's yeah. already there. Like if you already brought him in, like, and you know, this guy is like representing collectors, like you got to kind of know there's some. Yeah, I know, I know, I know what they were trying to do. It was like a set piece of intrigue and they wanted, they wanted then Robbie to overhear what was going on. So he yeah. saw the financial opportunity. So yes, a little, a little bit of convenience, but it, it works in a, I can say a fairy tale sort of way, but yeah, then so Robbie very smartly tracks Thaddeus down at a bar, you know, sits down, direct, you know, no bullshit, pours him a little bit out of that 50 mil he took for himself. Thaddeus instantaneously knows what it is because he just sat at the night before and he makes a deal. And uh, basically all Robbie and crew have to do is get home to Glasgow. And uh, then the, the tragedy of Ken Loach sort of sinks in. It's not as, like, again, not as tragic as or most Ken Loach films, because I feel like had he been in a different mood, none of that was he would have made it. Yeah, on a, um, on a scale of one to Loach, it was pretty low on the nihilism scale. Yeah, it was it was a three out of yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so they they basically cut back and they're already back in Glasgow. They, you know, as soon as they're walking down the street. Of course, the cops stop them because they're known criminals, all of them. And uh, they go through their bags and they you know, pack them down. And then they, maybe you can speak to this, but they make the, uh, the men show them their their genitals and their butt underneath the kill. And then it's, what is happening? Yeah. So there, there's this thing in Scotland. If you're a, a true Scotsman, you, you don't wear underwear underneath your kill. Um, and I think I think it was just a bit of a, a comedic set right. piece again, where they they had to show underneath their kilts. Thankfully, they, right. they don't show it. No, you just see no. them from behind. And then there's there's like another comedic moment there where the the one of the policemen's disgusted by what yeah. they're seeing, whatnot. Yeah. But yeah, and then and then and then we get the the tragedy moment, which I'll let you oh. talk about. So. As we mentioned, you know, Albert is, uh, 
boisterous, but also a bit of a klutz, we'll leave it at that. And he's holding one of the iron brew bottles, and these are the old school glass bottles, so they're not, they're not plastic. And he's sort of like shouting after the tops, being like, yeah, you don't know what I have. And he goes to cheers the bottle with, with Mo, who's also holding the glass bottle of iron brew. And as they cheers, both bottles just disintegrate in a crash, and the whiskey's gone. Yeah. So out of the four bottles that they filled, now they only have two. And it is a devastating moment. Like Mo is just sitting there like frozen shocked with whiskey all over her and glass in her hand. And obviously Rido and Robbie, not too pleased. Now, that's an understatement. There's some, yeah. there's some spicy Glaswegian banter in that scene. Uh, <laughs> But, but uh, so, all, all is not lost, thankfully. All is not lost. Well, and also, Albert ham-fistedly has a point, or makes a point, that, you know, well, if four bottles were priceless, two bottles must be more priceless, is the gist of his point. <laughs> and it's not wrong, but he's kind of an asshole still, because it's just like, it's such, a, such an unforced error to destroy those two bottles. But... Anyway, yeah. Robbie's still meeting with Thaddeus at a pub in Glasgow. You know, I think Thaddeus is just so happy to have any of it. He still gets a deal. The deal ends up being over 100,000 pounds for one bottle. Plus, Robbie gets a job. And so he directs him toward a job where he, I think, is working for a whiskey collector driving around to the Scottish distilleries looking for barrels and things like that. Um, and everybody gets their cut, so 25K each. And as a sort of like nice cherry on top we realized well there were two bottles he only sold one the final bottle you see harry come home to his flat and waiting on his desk is the final bottle and then they've given it to harry and robbie writes a note you know thanking him and saying thank you for leaving and giving me a chance and you know harry pours pours a dram for himself and then go back to robbie in his now new in a vw vintage camper van that he's yeah. got for work He's loading up Leone and Luke, his, his girlfriend and son. He says goodbye to the crew who watch him drive away. And they say, hey, let's go get drunk. And you kind of know there's Ken Loach coming in again where you're like, all three of them are going to go through that 25 grand in about a weekend and be back to yeah. square one. And Robbie and family drive off into the Scottish gray sunset. <laughs> fun, fun fact, Zach, the scene, that scene with the camper van where, they're, where they go off I used to live on that street. Oh my God. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Jedra Gardens, North Kelvin That's side, nice. Glasgow. Nice. West side. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I, I live mean, on that street. Yeah. That's yeah. incredible. And I mean, it is a happy ending. Like Robbie rides off into the sunset with his, his girlfriend and son. And, you know, they, they've done what they come to do. He's got their life ahead of him. He's going to Sterling, I think. And yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a happy film. I'm not going to lie. I had a little tear in my eye when Harry came home and saw that bottle sitting there. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a very nice ending. It was, it's, and it's a nice film that, okay, I know I use the word fairy tale for the high section, but there's nothing unrealistic about it. Like there, it, it is all very, very grounded in reality. In, mm. you know, how, and yeah. The, the way that it ends, you know, it, there's like a genuine sense of hope that he is yeah. going to turn his life around and, you know, be be the father that he promised that he would be yeah. to his girlfriend. And he's, you know, he's been given a second chance and a very, yeah. and a very rare opportunity and he's going to work in the whiskey industry that he now loves. But yeah, at the, the back end of it, you know, the, the, the spine of the back of the movie is, and we said this at the beginning, is that it ultimately crime pays at the end yeah. of it. At the end, oh, yeah. And I mean, there's there are some more details we left out, you know, with the sort of the crime in Glasgow and the, you know what you see who he is, and sort of getting back to the initial point where he's been getting a lot of chances. Like he has been to prison for being up a kid in the streets, mm-hmm. and uh, you see that, and he has to sort of confront that as well. So there are more details that make this very Ken Loach and very you know cutting to the bone, but the overall story it is a happy ending it is a fun whiskey story and you actually do learn a little bit about the whiskey world in scotland and uh, there's a lot of laughs 
And like I said, I, I'm not going to lie, I watched it stay, and there was a tear in my eye with that scene with Harry at the end. Yeah. And, so, uh, and I find that to be a successful film. You know, you're, you're, it's emotional, but it's also fun, but it's also, you know, yeah, most, away most, from it. Most of the time when you talk about Ken Loach films, you wouldn't use the word charming. No. Nope. feel like you could <laughs> use that, that word here quite easily yes. and and because yeah. it is you know at the end of the day it's it's like a happy ending yeah. and no one's hurt and you know it, it kind of just tails off and them going off into the sunset not not that you ever see the sun in scotland but if there were a sun they'd be going <laughs> off into the sunset yeah, right we get, we get the sunlight once or twice a year but yeah well let's let's go off into uh the highlands ourselves here and this and, you know, you probably hear people like me say this a lot just because of the job that I have. But this is legitimately one of my favorite all-time whiskeys, and that's Mortlock 20. Yeah. And yeah, this me, is uh, something I do legitimately sit at home. Like, when I do reach for a whiskey, this is one of them that I do reach for. Talisker 18 would be up there as well. Yeah. And it's what I love about the Mortlock 20, I'll let you explain it more, is it is so approachable, so just beautifully sippable, even meat. Like, when I pour it over a rock, I'm not going to stop you, but like, mm-hmm. experiencing it neat, you get this sense of place so well, and I feel like I love pairing it with this film, because in this film, you get a sense of place so well. Like, you get a piece of Glasgow you could normally see, especially as a tourist. You get, a, you know, you get the sense of Scotland and the whiskey community in Scotland, and I feel like with this Mortlock, when you immediately get that sense of place of Mortlock and the islands. So I'll let you take it from here. All right. More than happy to. Okay. Let me <laughs> pull my court back in here. Yeah. So more like, obviously, uh, I'm, I'm a huge soft spot for this distillery. I was born 250 feet away from it. Oh, wow. Uh, Almost the, well, I turned 50 next Saturday. So 1973, born in the Stevenson Cottage Hospital, which George Cowie and his wife, they, they were actually chairman and chairwoman of, of that hospital. They laid the foundation stone of it. So I have, I have a fairly strong connection to this distillery. First time I ever tasted Mortlich, though, was back in the early 1990s. And it was actually... This, the old Mortlake 16. Oh, okay. Uh, which is part of the, the old flora and fauna range that yes. came out in 1992, that bottle. So discontinued now. But we do have a new version of, of the 16, which is very close to that. And why did I like it? I liked it because of the depth of flavor. But it's Bayside whiskeys are, are lighter, more floral, orchard fruits, and, and they're obviously very delicious. But if you're looking for something with more kind of grit, more of sherry influence, because that 16 was all in first fill Oloroso sherry barrels, then you're going to get a little bit more of a tannic note to it, certainly more of a fruity note to it. Mortlich is also known for having a heavy kind of sulfury quality to it. And that, and that comes about in, in different ways, but we do a very unique distillation at that distillery, which equates to 2.81. We don't really have enough time to go into the distillation, but ostensibly what we do is a, a double distillation on two stills and we split wash on uh, wash stills two and three. First 80% goes into spirit still number two. So that's like a quasi triple distillation. So we're producing a, a multi-spirit and we're producing a floral spirit. And then we have the wee witchy. And if people talk about more, like they always reference the wee witchy. Yeah. The remainder 20% of those two buyed up wash stills go into it. We do two dud runs and then we do a, a third run where we're taking both heads and tails from those wash stills. And that produces gotcha. the heavy, rich, almost umami, savory character. All go through traditional worm tubs. Those three different liquids are then married together and that's what goes into barrel. So the math of it is 2.81 when you add it all up. Someone far gotcha. more intelligent than me came up with that equation. So yeah, it's it's a very weird, unique distillery. We don't know where that concept came from. It, it was Alexander Cowie implemented it in 1896 when he took over the distillery when his father retired. And we have no idea where he got the concept from. None. 
part of the reason is when he sold the distillery in the early 1920s, he destroyed all of his records. When oh, he sold, yeah, he just, he sold it to the Walker family. They loved that whiskey so much. They wanted to own the distillery. So they bought it. But yeah, he destroyed all of his records. We have a letter uh, from 1936 wow. with them bemoaning the fact that Dr. Cowie made an extraordinary decision to destroy all of his papers. So what yeah. a power move. <laughs> yeah, right? That created all sorts of chaos because he had been selling to Macy's prior to Prohibition. Once Prohibition finished, obviously the Walkers then owned it um, and they went to Macy's to continue selling them whiskey. And they had no idea what the previous arrangements were in terms of how much they paid for it or anything like that, because Alexander Cowie destroyed everything and he wouldn't tell them either. He lived right next to the distillery and he still wouldn't tell them anything. So yeah, weird. <laughs> what a what a wild story. I, yeah. yeah. So whiskey whiskey nerds love that. They love that kind of anarchy. That went on there back back at that that time in whiskey when you know you didn't do those kind of things. It was all like a business deal was a business deal, and there was a lot of formality to it. So to ha- to have him like sell it to them and then destroy all the records was extremely unusual. But yeah, <laughs> we now today we have three main expressions for more liquor available in the United States. So there's a twelve, sixteen. And the one that we're we're going to taste, which is obviously the twenty, the the twelve is actually in a combination of ex bourbon and sherry. The sixteen is all first fill sherry. The twenty is also all sherry, but we're using some uh, refill as well as first fill in here. Uh, so what what are we going to see here? Well, it, it's got that quintessential DNA of, of Wartlick, which is that that heavy, rich umami note. But then there's a little bit of red berry. And that that's one of the other things. Yeah. If you ever like blind taste or blind nose and taste more like then if you get that kind of almost like uh, red berry, like tartness on the nose. Yeah. That's one of the biggest tells for me if I'm ever doing a blind and then I, I come across more like there's always that little bit of red, red berry in there. There's a little bit of a spicy note. There's a little bit of a, almost like a bergamot aromatic citrus note that comes yes, through absolutely. for me. And then at the at the back end of it, it's 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 that sherry, it's that oloroso punch, that fruitcake richness that's coming through from it. Um, it's almost like the there's a little lobby to it. Like it is right. overly sweet. Yeah. So that, that umami actually comes through mainly on the wee witchy, but also because of the fact that we're using traditional worm tubs. So right. you've, got, you've got less copper contact and copper works as a purifier. And the more copper contact you get, the lighter and brighter the spirit is. So the less, the more dense the flavors are. And there's, there's chemicals called mercaptans. And not to get nerdy, but I'm going to get nerdy. And you're going to get... You're going to get chemicals like dimethyl and trimethyl disulfide, and they have a kind of heavy, heavy, meaty, sulfury note to them. Yeah. And that's where that umami comes from. And if you taste Old Ben Rennes, if you taste Daluin from Space Eye, you're going to get the same kind of umami effect. In fact, when we just released Johnny Walker Umami, Blue Label Umami, and it's got both Ben Rennes and, and Mortlich in it. And that was going to give that kind of meaty, umami, savory characteristic to it. So on the on the nose and on the palate, it's actually quite different. Whereas you've got that kind of that bergamot, that red berry, and then obviously that that slight kind of spent match sulfur. But then on the palate, yeah. it, it, it's way more way more savory. And yeah. that, that's really where it's almost like if you like uh, pho and you get that pho broth and then you can't finish it and then you'll take it home and then you'll strain all the bits out and then just heat up the broth, which I do, then you get a really nice, almost like spicy, savory note, a little bit of a nice yes. in there as well. And that and that's what I love about this. It's like on the nose, it's a very different beast. And then very. on the palate, 
you've got way more of that kind of savory characteristic, more of that spicy note. Still, it's very juicy as well. Yes. And I'll say it turns the corners. Well, it's quite a ride on the palate. Like 100% on board with the savoriness up front and that little, almost a little bit of like dried chili spice. But then on the on the back end, it gets a little creamy and it gets a little softer and it mm. kind of starts edging towards toffee and nuttiness and then pulls back, if you know what I mean. Like it, it, it there's a layer to it. That's, yeah. Oh yeah. This is still, this is still on Peter's wealth. Like, don't worry. We're not going too, too off uh, into the distance here, but it, it, it becomes this complex sort of ride through dinner into dessert and then back again. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's almost like you're having your fa. You pop a Werther's originally in your mouth for a little bit. <laughs> right. Freaking out. Go back. Go back to your fa. Also, yeah. the ABV on this one's quite unusual. It's at 43.4. And we get asked a right. lot why. And the reason is when we when we sold whiskey to Macy's, when Cowie's originally sold it, it was at 43.4 when it was sold mm. in Macy's. So when they re-released it as a heart back, to those old days, they kept the ABV the same, 43.4. Gotcha. So it's, it's classic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're tasting like it's kind of old, old world spirit. And, and it's, a, it's an unusual distillery. It's got a really rich, interesting history. It was, a, it was an old battle site. Then it was an abbey. Wow. At okay. one point, there was a secret church inside one of the warehouses. Because there, there was a a subset of, of religion in in Scotland called the Wee Free Kirk, and they were they were quasi persecuted, but there was like communities all over Scotland, and they they had their services in one of the warehouses. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. so it's a really it's a really strange distillery, but that's that's why that's why I love it, and and they. You have to be very experienced to work at this distillery as well. So the people who work there have worked at multiple sites. The guy, the guy, the guy who runs it, called uh, Andrew Millsop, very very nice guy, and uh, like a distilling savant. And he he's he's in charge of that site. But yeah, it's it's a tricky distillery to work at because it's so complex. And it is it comes through whiskey like going back now to the nose. I get this sort of sense of. Almost like a warehouse or where like the straw has been packed into the clay and like you get this like sense of old, not must, but like the barrel houses, but they're like, like an old sherry barrel house, honestly, mm-hmm. where there's that, that tart fruit is there, but also the sure like Christmas cakes are there and you get this combination of, you know, the, the lighter sherries and the older darker sherries and it all sort of is coming together with this bit of multi base and again, yeah. Some, pe- some people actually yeah. make a comparison between this and old Jamaican pot still rum, where you've got that kind of okay. funk, funky note behind it. But we're not, we're obviously not using dunder like they do in, in Jamaica, but right, you're right. getting that kind of, some people say barnyard aroma, which, which I. Not quite there. Oh, yeah. It's like the nicest way of, of explaining it. But yeah. there's, there's like an old, oaky, dustiness to them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's it's definitely not in the barn yard. I can see where people will go that direction. Yeah. Like I said, like that straw pounded in the clay into a floor. But it's it's not funky. It's just and it's not musty. Like it's not it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's like that, you know, that black mold you get from a barrel house and everything. It's just like this mm-hmm. subtle vibe like you're walking through an old warehouse drinking a really, really good glass of whiskey. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then taking the second sip, again the sort of the com- that complexity really just comes through. And again, I can't overstate the the creamy end, and you get this little whispering vanilla yeah. in the end, and the sort of like yeah. kind of telling you where the barrels were, which barrel, I'm sorry, which barrels uh, were involved here. But yeah. it's just such a night. I mean, and at the very, very, very end, I get this almost like a. It's not star fruit, but like something where a little tiny bit of like a sharp savory fruit. Mm. And it's uh, such a nice journey. To yeah, it, it really is beautiful. And every time you go back to it, you'll pick out something else as well. Yeah, for sure. Like every, every time I, I come to this, I'll pick something else. And at this 
that last sip I got, I got a little bit of kind of tiramisu. There was a little bit of Ooh. like chocolatey, a little okay. bit of espresso, but then there's that creaminess in there. Um, oh, yeah. I can see that 100%. Especially, um, again, I keep going back to that creaminess that you get. It's just so nice. And uh, yeah, a little bit of espresso for sure. That's really phenomenal yeah. pour of whiskey. To the film and whiskey listeners, if you're still here with us, thank you, first of all. But, uh, you know, this is, obviously, this is a premium product. We'll have a premium price. However, you do see this on shelves in liquor stores around the country. It's not something that is impossible to find. So, you know, and just to let you know, in our last, last episode, we sampled a very rare release that only, you know, there's only like 2,000 bottles a year and that's it. And if you don't get it, you don't get it. This is findable. It's got a price tag on it, but it is findable. And so... You know, since this is the holiday season, you know, this is the sort of bottle that would be an amazing gift <laughs> to a whiskey lover because of all the history that you had just mentioned. You know, the this is such a insider's distillery that is so unique. Like just the the space is so unique. The people are so unique. The whiskey is so unique. But this whatever I recommend, Mortlick, is or like if you really want to impress a whiskey nerd, you get up one of these. Yeah, yeah, it definitely sits in that that wheelhouse of immediate credibility. Yes, where if you give them more, like then they they they're like, oh wow, like that, because they're they're used to getting lots of other like more readily available whiskeys, and right. and you give them something like you know more like, and you know it's it's cult favorite for sure. Absolutely, absolutely, and it and it lives up to that. Old hype. I mean, this is one of those whiskeys that you can go back to again and again, and you'll find more nuance, more depth, more beauty. Uh, and I'm so glad we got to drink this together. So let's give our final thoughts. I mean, I'm going to give you my final thoughts on the whiskey. Uh, a plus. <laughs> uh, what did you think of the movie? <laughs> I I liked it for, and I, like I said at the beginning, for multiple reasons, but also nostalgia because I. I lived in Glasgow for a, for a long period of time. So seeing places that I saw on a, on a day-to-day basis made me a little bit, little bit homesick, nice. but it was really nice to see. And then they obviously show the the beauty of the Scottish landscape in there as well. But at, at, at kind of at the bottom line of it, it's a, it's a movie with like genuine hope and yeah. And I suppose that's like the underlying message is that there's always hope because it starts off with desperation and there's no hope. And then he sees this kind of window of opportunity. And at the end of it, you've got this really nice way that they, they kind of tail off. And like I say, they, they drive off to a new life and, and it's all because of, all because of whiskey ultimately. So Absolutely. I really like that. Yeah. And you know, I remember seeing this film back in 2012 in the in a theater and really, really feeling moved by it. And of course, having known Ken Loach, it's nice to see him have a happy ending to a film. But it is that sort of thing where I feel, you know, to, to our American film listeners out there, you know, if, if you don't know Ken Loach, it's really worth, you know, going back and watching, you know, The Word of Shakespeare Barley or, you know, a, a number of his films. He's been making movies since the 60s, everybody. There's a lot out there and they are politically motivated. They are, you know, they are looking at, you know, impoverished people in the world and their struggles in, in a very realistic way. I, I think like, if you look at um, American filmmakers, like maybe Sean Baker sort of does that with his, you know, Florida man films and a little bit of Alexander Payne, but even then it's, it's not that cutting as, as Ken Loach's films are, uh, and if you do watch The Winner Shakespeare, you get to see a very fresh faced Killian Murphy. <laughs> that's a great yeah, idea. You know. Yeah, that's a. Oof, you want to talk about an ending? Oh, yeah. Um, no, it's yeah. spoiler, but. Yeah, there, not to spoil it, but wow. Three, three, the same feel good movie Ooh. ending as we do see in this Angel Share. No. And uh, no, I, I was thinking about this whiskey, and you know, I, I've said this again, but I want to reiterate it. You know, I, I love whiskeys that tell you a story when you sip them, and and this Morlock Twenty tells you a story when you sip it. And I feel like it's a, a perfect pairing for a film like The Angel Share. 
that you feel good at the end of pull. And yeah. so uh, I'm going to leave it at that. And uh, you know, can you tell a good bourbon whiskey audience where they can find you and how they can find this wonderful whiskey? Yes, you can. You can find me on the social medias at you and Morgan there uh, yeah. on on Instagram, and uh, you'll you'll follow my whiskey travels and see how baristas misspell my name across the country. <laughs> I po- I po- I post that quite frequently. I do I do a lot of tastings all over the country as well, whiskey shows and and I also do a lot of private client work. So I work on Diageo's Prima and Ultima. If you go to Diageo Rare and Exceptional.com, you will see the full line there. So that's it from me. Yeah, and I will just piggyback off that amazing whiskeys. You have worked with amazing whiskeys. So please follow him. Follow Rare and Exceptional. It is a gateway into some of the most unique and special stuff coming out of Scotland full stop right now. Yeah. So please, please give them a follow. Please, you know, keep an eye on it, especially if you are really wanting to get into some phenomenal scotches that are available now. For my end, you know me, I'm Zach Johnston. You can find me at ZTP Whiskey on Instagram. Don't do any other social media. Then you can find me at uprocks.com where I get to write about the wonderful whiskeys I'm privileged and honored to taste with people like you. And next week, we are going to be jumping back into the United States. Uh, we're going to be talking about a film near and dear to my heart that was filmed where I'm from. So uh, sort of piggybacking up a you and the Glaswegian, the feeling of this, we're going to the Pacific Northwest and we're going to be watching First Blood and we're going to be drinking a... Oh wonderful Washington whiskey while we talk about how Rambo isn't what you think he is and uh, while also being in my backyard, basically. So thank you everyone for listening. It's greatly appreciated. And you and see you next time. Cheers. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Man.